Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. You know, I, I just want to say before we begin that this is the day that the Lord has made. He knew this day. He knew that February and March of 2020 would happen. He has ordained every one of our days before one of them has come to be into being. He works all things together for the, for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. And he has ordained this day, this moment, that we would be together even virtually to worship the Lord. So praise the Lord, Crosspoint. Well, what a joy it is to be here with you. If you have a Bible, open it to Psalm 131. Psalm 131 is where we're going to be this morning. We are, as you can tell, hitting the pause button on our series through James until we can gather back together again around that beautiful letter and finish up chapter 5. We're going to look at Psalm 31. It's a short psalm, just three verses this morning. And before I read that psalm and pray for us, I want to first mention what a joy it was to be Uh, in Johannesburg, South Africa last week with the Saints of Brackenhurst Baptist Church. I was there preaching at their missions conference with my friend Doug Van Meter, who's a pastor there. And he has actually been here to Crosspoint a few years ago to preach here. And Brackenhurst is the home church of our dear friends Gareth and Carrie Franks, who were missionaries in India and are now serving in uh, New Life Church where Gareth is pastoring in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. And it was just a joy to be with the saints there in Johannesburg. Although I, I tell you, it was a strange feeling to be on the other side of the world, uh, separated from you when all was happening here back home. But I'm glad to be back home. And I'm glad to be with you this morning, even virtually. So uh, praise God for his grace to us. Praise God for this opportunity for us to be a city set on a hill in our day, in our age. Well, I'm going to read this text, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into these short verses. Let me read Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3. This is a psalm of David, and it's in a portion of the psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, which are are commonly called the songs or the psalms of ascent, meaning that these were songs that Israel would sing as they were approaching Jerusalem yearly, for worship, ascending to the city of God on the hill. And so what what an appropriate psalm, portion of the Bible for us to be in as we are coming to the Lord, even digitally as we're gathered around our TV sets or our phones, worshiping the Lord, coming to God together. Listen to these three short verses, Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us, for the gift of modern technology to gather virtually virtually together as your people. Lord, in this moment, I thank you in particular for those among us that are serving in our military that 
are separated from their loved loved ones during this this anxious time. I I thank you for the soldiers in this church that are deployed in the Middle East and around the world. Lord, protect them, encourage them, be with their families back home. Lord, we thank you for our government. We know that it's not perfect, but they're, they're trying to serve us. They're trying to work for the common good. So we do pray that you would give our politicians, our governors, our president, our Congress, wisdom as to how to care for our nation during this time so that we might uh, be protected. Lord, we pray in particular for healthcare workers in our city and all around our nation and really all around the world that are putting themselves in harm's way as they, they are caring for the sick and as they are leaving their family and exposing themselves to sickness. Lord, we pray that you would give them special energy as they are working long hours and certainly they their emotions are spent. We pray for your grace and protection to them. We pray, Lord, for, for those among us who might be particularly vulnerable, the elderly or those who have other sicknesses or diseases that, that are, are in a particular time of fear. We pray, Lord, that you would be their strong tower, that they would run to you and find safety. Lord, we pray for people and cultures around the world, many who do not have the comforts and the privileges that we do in our land. Lord, we pray that you might comfort them and encourage them. We pray for our sister churches in Columbus that preach the gospel. We pray, Lord, that people might tune in to this live stream and other live streams from other churches, not only in our city, but around the world, and that this would be a wonderful opportunity for the gospel to reach into places that it has never been. Lord, what an opportunity this can be for the church. Encourage your people now, Lord. We need to hear from your word. We need, Lord, for you to speak to us and encourage us and strengthen us and do your work in us. So, Lord, do that, I pray. Use me, even in my insufficiency, to be your mouthpiece this morning to encourage this local church that I love so dearly. And I pray that you do all of this for the glory of your name, for the good of your people, the building up of your bride, and for the salvation of all those that you've set your love on in eternity past, that you would bring in your people through this. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these three short short verses, I think, teach us about humility and about hope. So really, there's two parts to this message. Some words about humility and some words about hope. First, humility. This psalm teaches us, I think, a wonderful word about humility. Look again at verse 1. David, King David writes this and he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now we don't know much about the circumstances of this psalm and why David wrote this. And I think that it's sort of broad and ambiguous like that because the Lord in His wisdom wants us to have a broad application in the life of His people through the centuries. And so all we know is that David here is confessing that his heart is not lifted up, that his eyes aren't raised too high. He's not, he's, he's not proud in his posture before the Lord. And if anyone had the grounds for being lifted up and proud and having their hearts lifted up and their, their eyes raised high, it would have been David. The Bible speaks of David as being this great king, this man whom God had chose, a man after God's own heart. And yet, 
in this psalm, we see David confessing his humility, his, his dependence on the Lord. The Lord worked humility in David's heart as great as he was. We see here that David confesses the humble state of his heart. His heart's not lifted up. He's not proud. His eyes are not raised too high. He's not occupying himself with things that he cannot control, that are above his pay grade, so to speak. Why was David in this posture as great as he was? Well, life had humbled David. Just one psalm before in Psalm 130, we don't know whether David wrote that psalm or not, but listen to these words. Certainly, David would have been, would have been familiar with this psalm, Psalm 130, right before our text, Psalm 131. It says in Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? There's something about a situation like this that just sort of gives us all an opportunity to sort of self-examine and think more carefully and slowly and deeply about the world and even about our own lives. And what I think this should produce in us clearly, dear ones, is, is humility. Even great David was a man whose life, whose life humbled him. His sons came after him to try and usurp his throne. He, he was humbled in his running from Saul. He was humbled even in his sin and the judgment and the consequences that he saw in his own life because of his sin. And all of us, as we just think about our lives that have led us to this point, or we think about the current situation that is completely out of our control, it should bring us to a humility to where we can say with David, our hearts are not lifted up. If they've been lifted up prior to this, Lord, thank you for lowering my heart and, and causing my eyes to come down off of lofty things and that we wouldn't occupy ourselves with things that are too great and marvelous for us. What, what might it look like for us to have our hearts being lifted up and our eyes raised too high? Before this current virus, this international scare has hit us, I think this is a perfect description of much of the world around us. We live in a world that, that has shunned God, that shakes its fist at God, whose hearts are lifted up, whose eyes are raised high. It's a, this is a perfect description of the bravado and the self-confidence of our world. And this is an opportunity for us to see if there's any of the world that is in us and for us to reject that, to repent of that, and to, along with David, confess this humble posture before the Lord. One way that that might work out in our lives is to just have a, a particular patience with one another, with, with our government, with, with people in authority over us, with, with people that we interact with during the day, maybe people in the service industries, maybe, maybe people that we're, we're going and meeting as we have to venture out during the day, to have a particular patience with one another. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. This is a wonderful, this is a sentence, a verse that we read often here at Crosspoint. And I think it's particularly applicable during this time. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14, it says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak be patient with them all. This is an opportunity. One, one way that we can be humble 
and have our hearts not lifted up and our eyes not raised too high is for us just to have a particular patience and compassion for people even in our own body that this might be hitting in different ways and to not be frustrated or cynical or judgmental towards them. Every person that is listening, every person that's watching, every person that's a part of this church has different circumstances, different fears, different anxieties, different experiences that have brought them to this point, which means that this situation is going to affect them differently. And one way that we can be humble is to be humble towards one another, to be patient towards one another, to love one another, to not, to not scorn or scoff at one another and to encourage one another. Robert started our time off by encouraging us to check on one another, to encourage one another, to go through our member directory, to text one another, to call one another, to love one another. What an opportunity. With extra time in our hands, we have to actually do that. Praise God for this ordained, God-ordained time where we can actually practice this type of humility and love for, for one another. Friends, even though we're hitting the pause button on our series through James, I just consider as I was flying back from South Africa thinking about what we were going to look at in the coming weeks or for however long we have to be separated from one another, I was just thanking the Lord for what we have been studying and thinking about in James up to this point. And in God's kindness, what a there's no better part of the Bible, I think, to be in to prepare us for something like we're facing now. In fact, Two Sundays ago, the text that we last looked at when we were able to physically gather together was James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. I think it bears reading again. Listen to James. He says, come now, you who say, verse 13, chapter 4, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now friends, what a passage for us to hold on to that we are completely dependent. Our lives are here today. They're gone tomorrow. That word mist, another way of describing that is a fog. It's like the morning fog that burns off before the noon day. That's what our life is like. And in light of that, we should humble ourselves and realize that we are completely dependent on God who controls today and tomorrow and who has all things under His hand. One final word as we think about humility before we move on to the second word of hope. Friends, let's not waste this time. Don't waste this crisis. There's parts of all of our hearts that have not been humble, that have not been particularly aware of the sovereignty of God. One of the, one of the I mean, praise God for the life that we live and the world that we live in and the comforts that we have. Those are gifts from God. But they, if we're not careful to examine ourselves, they can produce in us a reliance on those things. And whatever's going on right now, whatever God's sovereign plans are, 
Certainly one of them is to give us an opportunity to consider this verse that we just read in James chapter 4 to examine our lives and to reorient us to complete dependence on the will of the Lord, no matter what today or tomorrow face it brings to us. So let's not waste this time. Let's not waste this crisis. All of us have parts of our lives that have not been humble where our hearts have been lifted up, our eyes have been lifted too high. And let's ask ourselves, Lord, where have I been depending on myself, resting in the comforts of this modern age? Where have I been neglecting you? We may not think of that naturally as a lack of humility, but any lack of dependence on God from whom we live and move and have our being is a lack of humility. And this is a gracious gift of God to examine ourselves so that we might repent of those things and root them out of our lives. Listen to Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, before we move on to this word of hope that David gets to. The psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I pray that one of the things this may work in me and in us, is more time where we actually sit and think and consider and examine our lives. That we wouldn't waste this time. That we wouldn't waste this crisis. That we wouldn't waste this quarantine. And that God would use it to work humility in us. So that we can say along with David, our hearts not lifted up. Our eyes are not raised too high. We don't occupy ourselves with things that are too great and too marvelous, that only God can control. The second thing, then, that I think this psalm teaches us is about hope. So the reason why David was humble is because, as he confesses here in verse 2, his hope was in the Lord. So let's read verses 2 and 3. Why can David be so humble despite the circumstances of his life? And why can we be humble Why are we to be humble despite whatever we may be facing? Well, verses 2 and 3 are the answer. It says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So let's consider how this psalm teaches us about hope. David tells us the source of his humility. He brought his anxious, noisy soul to God. It's not like David just came out of the womb calm and quieted. You just read a brief history of his life and you see that his life was was filled with turmoil. Things that happened to him from the outside and even things that happened to him because of the sin inside of him. His his life was chaotic. It was not calm and quiet. But yet, David here is saying that he can hope in the Lord. He can trust in God because he has calmed and quieted his soul. Now certainly, I think for all of us, to some degree or another, the last few weeks have made our souls anxious and loud, the opposite of calm and quiet. Maybe it's our our retirement plan, our 401k that seems to be going through the floor. 
Maybe for some of us, it's the fear of, of losing your job. Maybe it's wondering how you will make ends meet. Maybe, you, maybe even something that might seem small to us, but is, is certainly very big to a person who's in this stage of life. Maybe you're just a high schooler that is, that is losing your senior year or your final season. Maybe you're planning a wedding and, and you're, you're fearful about these things. These are valid fears. These are things that can make us anxious. Maybe you're an older person and you, you are scared of contracting this virus and your ability to recover from it. Maybe you're a pastor of a small church and you're wondering how you're going to make ends meet and support your family. All these things can cause our souls to be anxious and loud. And notice what, what David says. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And how has he done that? He describes this calming and this quiet like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So we see here the, the end is this calm and quiet soul. But let's look at the means by which God brings David to this place of calmness and quietness. He says it's like a, a weaned child from its mother. Now let's, let's consider that picture. What does it mean for a child to be weaned off of its mother's breast? It means that that child is no longer utterly dependent on the breast milk of the child and on, of the mother, and now they are able to feed themselves. They're, 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 no, they're accustomed now to be able to comfort themselves without being completely dependent on their mother. And strangely, David is saying here in verse 2 that he's calmed and quieted himself, and so he's weaned, he's weaned himself from needing the comforts of this life, and now he's able to calm his own soul in the Lord. Friends, that's exactly what's going on in the first few verses of James, in James chapter 1, that God uses our circumstances, the trials that he says we will face, to actually produce something in us. Let me read James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 again, that we started off a few months ago when we started this journey through James. Listen to verse 2 of chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so what James is saying here is that God, who is sovereign, intends as part of his plan to produce strength in his people to bring them trials to, in a sense, wean them from their dependency on the things of this world. That's what's going on, friends. We are in the middle of living out what we've been studying in James. This is such a privilege. Friends, this is a joy. God is actually giving us an opportunity to live what we proclaim. Look at what he's saying to James. He's saying these trials are coming. And these trials are because of the sovereign hand of God who controls them all. 
And friends, we know that's true. We know Romans 8, 28 says that he works all things together for the good of his people. Ephesians 1, 11 says that, he, that all things happen according to the counsel of his will. And so nothing that we're facing has not first passed through his sovereign, good, fatherly hand. And it comes to us, and God intends, according to James chapter 1, to use it to produce something in us, a steadfastness a spiritual maturity, a kind of perfection, a completeness where we would be lacking in nothing. So back to verse 2 of Psalm 31, D David is not saying that independent of the Lord, he's reached down within himself and he has calmed himself out of the reservoir of his own strength. He's saying that God has used the means of this anxious and loud world around him to produce in him no other option but to depend on God. And he's used that trial to build in David, to work action in David, to where David now must make a decision to preach the gospel to his own soul and calm and quiet his own heart. This is how Charles Spurgeon puts it. I've read this quote so many times at, at, at Crosspoint. He says that Jesus often rides to the doorsteps of our hearts on the black horse of affliction so that he might wean us from the world and woo us to heaven. Friends, we're living in that verse. We're living in James 1. We're living in Spurgeon's quote. And now we, like David, have this great not only opportunity but privilege to calm and quiet our souls by using the means of this trial that we're facing to wean us like children and to produce in us strength and trust and confidence in God. And where does, where does David instruct us to get this hope? Friends, not, not inside of us. No. What does he say in verse 3? He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So, oh, dear Crosspoint, oh, people of God, hope in the Lord. That's where the calmness and the quietness of our soul come from, not from within us. That's where we can be weaned from the dependence of ourselves and from this world, not because of any strength in us, but because, as verse 3 says, as David points us, we can hope in the Lord, not just now, but forevermore. So what, is, what does it mean to hope in the Lord? How do we do this? Well, first, first we must understand, and if you're listening to this for the first time, maybe you're tuning in to a church and you're hearing a message from the Scriptures for the first time or the first time in a long time. When, when the Bible says hope in the Lord, it's not just talking about kind of an ambiguous hope, a sort of trust in a kind of ambiguous deity out there. You know, kind of like an athlete would say at the end of a game where, where they, they've won a game and they just say, oh, well, the, the, the man upstairs helped me. Just kind of this, this, this ambiguous, unbiblical notion of this greater power. That's not what the Bible means at all. When the Bible says hope in the Lord, it's speaking specifically about our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and this Godhead who has decided 
to offer a way where mankind can be made right with Him through the sacrifice of God the Son on the cross. So to hope in the Lord, this call for Israel to hope in the Lord, this call for us as a church, as the people of God now, to hope in the Lord is not a general hope hoping that things will eventually get better or hoping that this virus will calm down or that we will flatten the curve in a few weeks. And all those things are good hopes. But this is a much more specific hope that the Bible is calling us to. It's calling us to hope in the good news of what a holy God has done to reconcile sinners like us to himself through the sacrifice of his son. Listen to what the the book of Romans, the letter of Romans says about this, this hope. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that means that we are able to be made right with a holy God. God is holy. Listen to me, dear friend. Listen to me. Especially those of you that might be tuning in for the first time. Listen to me. God is holy and good. And mankind, all of us, are sinful. By nature, we are separated from Him. We have all gone astray, the Bible says. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is righteous. No, not one. And the only way that we can be made right with a holy God, the only way that we can be justified before God is by faith in what His Son Jesus, God the Son, God the flesh, has done in His perfect life where we have all rebelled God and sinned. Jesus, God the Son, became a man and lived a perfect life a sinless life, and then laid down his life on the cross to bear the wrath of God, to extinguish it, to substitute himself in our place for all of us that would turn away from having faith in ourselves, turn away from trusting in ourselves, and put our hope in him. That's what faith is. That's what saving faith is. And this verse is saying that we can be made right with God if we have faith In Jesus, therefore, let me read again verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this, we're reconciled now to God. We, We can now hope in Him. That's where peace, that's where the calmness and the quietness comes from. From being reconciled to a holy God whose judgment and wrath is rightly against us in our sinful nature, and the wrath of God can be quieted, satisfied by the faith that we have in Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Through him, meaning Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. So to be reconciled, to be saved, to be made right with God in this life doesn't mean that we are immune to sufferings and trials. No, he's saying that you're reconciled to God for eternity and he leaves you here to endure these trials so that you would point an anxious world to God through the way that you live. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So friends, that, that this text in Romans 5 is just a picture. It's just expounding what we've been saying 
that God has reconciled his people to himself through Jesus. And he leaves us here to live this life in this anxious world so that we would put on display our hope for Jesus to an anxious world around us, communicating to the world that hope can only be found in God, not in modern medicine, as thankful as we are for those things, not in politicians, not in government, as thankful as we may be for those things, but in God alone. Because friends, whether or not we die tomorrow or 50 years from now, we will all stand before a holy God. And where will our hope be then? It must and can only be in Jesus who died on the cross and rose again to justify us, to reconcile us, people who have no business approaching a holy God. He's done that so that if we will trust in him, we can be reconciled to a holy God. Friends, that's the hope that this scripture in Psalm 131 verse 3, even hundreds of years before Jesus died, is pointing to hope in Christ. With that type of hope, friends, we, we as God's people, if we have that type of hope, if we know that we will be with him forever, Ah, oh, friends, that produces in us a kind, of, a kind of calmness and quietness in our soul that unclenches our fists from this death grip on this dying world and releases us to live because we know that our future is secure. Staying in Romans, just, just one couple chapters over in Romans chapter 8, listen to what Paul's logic, where his logic takes him is he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to think about what the implications are in the Christian life for those that have been reconciled to God by faith through trusting in Jesus, for those who have put their hope in Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 31 of Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What can man do to us is what Paul is saying. What can a virus do to us? What can crashing markets do to us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So think about that. Jesus, the one who died for you and reconciled you to the Father, if you're a believer in him, is also right now praying for you. And I'm just going to say that I think biblically we can be certain that Jesus' prayers are always answered. And Jesus is, is praying for you if you are trusting in him. Who then, verse 35, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Or I might add parenthetically, or the coronavirus? No, as it is written, verse 36, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be, to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is a beautiful passage. This is a passage we should memorize, should fasten ourselves to in this time. And this passage is not a promise 
that we will live long on this earth. He's saying that even death can't separate us. So for whatever God's will may be for our lives, whether it is death or poverty or difficulty for the rest of our days, it can't separate us from God who is sovereign over all, who is working all things together for the good of His people. Friends, we can can anchor ourselves to that truth, truth. And because of that truth, we can have hope. And if we have hope in that truth, this gospel truth, Oh, dear friends, our souls can be calmed and quieted in an anxious and loud time. And then he says, and I conclude with this, I love this. He says, from this time forth and forevermore, and forevermore. Friends, times like this, are, they're like, they're like uh, it's kind of like smelling salts. You guys know I love the Rocky movies. Rocky Balboa is one of the greatest Italian-Americans to ever live. I know he's actually a fictional character, but he's still a great Italian-American. And I love when Rocky's getting hit in the face and he's in the corner and his trainer Mick is popping the smelling salts underneath his nostrils. He's like, wake up, Rock. You got to get back in there. There's just something about times like this that are like smelling salts underneath our nostrils and it wakes us up from the haze that we normally live in and it lets us, it allows us under God's kindness to see things more clearly. We, we love our family more deeply. We care about our friends more passionately. Things that are truly important become truly important and all of this other stuff just kind of fades away. And that's just that just happens in these times of crisis. But what David is saying here in Psalm 131, verse 3, is not just from this time forth, but forevermore. Friends, we we have a a kind of 2020 when things, a vision, a, a spiritual clarity when things like this happen. Until oftentimes, everything returns to normal. And then we return to normal. Friends, certainly we should pray that this curve would flatten. And that life will get back to normal just as soon as possible. We should pray that. For we should pray, certainly. And of course, we all hope that. But friends, will we waste this trial? Will we waste what God is doing? Is our hope merely in that life will return to normal? Or will this produce in us something more enduring? Something more permanent? A spiritual fruit that doesn't just wither on the vine as soon as this virus is contained, but it would go on in us forevermore. Oh, dear friends, let's pray for that. Let's not let this kind gift of God that we are facing, this hard providence, which is actually a smiling face of God, let's not waste it. Let's let it produce in us lasting, eternal fruit. So I conclude, friends, with just a a call for us to pray as a church. What an opportunity the Lord has given us. We're going to be praying with you for the next 31 days every day. We're starting off tomorrow with a a prayer guide that we've sent out to the church that we'd love for you to follow along with us. We're going to pray and ask the Lord in specific areas for Him to move and for Him to be glorified and for His people to be strengthened and for the gospel to go out. But there's three things that I'm praying for as I conclude for me and for us as a church. I mentioned them on my short video the other day that I sent out, but let me repeat them. First, I'm praying that God would produce in us a a deeper longing and appreciation for just the local church. Uh, Thank God for technology. Thank God that we can meet this way. But friends, this this is not 
what it means to be the local church in its, in its fullest expression. We long for the day when we can gather together, when we can hug one another. And maybe this will produce, I'm praying that God would produce in us a deeper appreciation for the gift we have to gather together. Soon, Lord willing, when we're able to gather back together in this room and in each other's living rooms and community groups, I'll let it produce in us an appreciation and a joy for the gift of Christ-centered community. Secondly, I'm praying that this would be our, our, our best hour of, of just witness, that we as a church would be the aroma of Christ, a city set on a hill. This is an opportunity, friends, when the world around us is anything but calm and quiet, for God's people to be countercultural, to be a city set on a hill, an aroma of Christ to an onlooking world that displays, that portrays, the gospel that we preach. Oh, may this be our finest hour of witness as we share the gospel with anxious friends. And then I'm praying that this would just deepen our dependence on the Lord. That, that Lord willing, when life returns to normal, hopefully very soon, that we would not waste this trial. That, that we truly would hope in the Lord, not just for this time, but forevermore that for the remainder of our days, for those of us that might have just been cruising along in life, as James 4 says, just thinking, ah, tomorrow I'm going to do this, next year I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that. This is a, a God-ordained opportunity to work in us the abiding fruit of dependence so that we would realize, as Hebrews 1 says, that He upholds all things by the word of His power, that it's in Him that we live and move and have our being. And we are completely dependent on our good God to work all things according to His will and for our good. I love you, Crosspoint. I can't wait till we can gather again. For how many ever weeks that we need to do this, we'll do this. So tune in with us on Sundays. Tune in with us daily as we pray through our prayer guide. We love you. I can't wait to see you. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us be encouraged that our souls will be calmed and quieted as we hope in the good news of the gospel alone. Lord, thank you for this gift of technology. Thank you for my brothers and sisters that are gathered around our city, our nation, maybe across the earth tuning in. Thank you for our sister churches. Thank you for the other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in our city. Thank you for our dear friends in South Africa and in India in Abu Dhabi, in the United Arab Emirates, for our dear friends in Busega, Uganda. Lord, help us. Help us to look up and trust in You for us to humble ourselves and for us to hope in Your sovereign goodness through Your Son, Jesus. Lord, over the course of how many ever days or weeks that we're facing this, I pray that many souls would come to faith in Jesus. That this would be a great outpouring of, of revival in our land and the world. That, Lord, this would be part of your harvest. That you would gather in more and more of your sheep through this. And what the enemy has meant for evil, you would use for good for the saving of all of your people that you intend to save in this time. Lord, I pray that you would produce in your people abiding enduring fruit 
so that our lives would more clearly commend the gospel to an anxious and loud world. Lord, help us to calm and quiet our souls as we hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Crosspoint. We'll see you next Sunday.